Hello and welcome to RipperCast, your podcast on Jack the Ripper and the Whitechapel murders, as we bring to you another recording from the bi-monthly meetings of the Whitechapel Society 1888. And what you're about to hear is the December 2019 event hosted by Mango Books publisher Adam Wood, featuring crime historian, author and actor Keith Skinner and writer-historian Damien Michael Barcroft in a discussion about the critically acclaimed television series Ripper Street. And so, without further ado, let's venture into the crutched friar for a discourse on Ripper Street. Welcome everybody to the December 2019 meeting of the Whitechapel Society, coming from the Crutched Friars pub here in the heart of London's East End. We are five minutes away from Tower Bridge to the south, and to the north, five minutes further up, is the dark and mean streets of Whitechapel. And as always, I'd like to take this opportunity to welcome all of you who are listening in to us through the Rippercast podcast, which is so excellently run by Jonathan Mengis and his team. So this should be a fascinating evening where we're going to be discussing the TV show Ripper Street with an absolutely expert panel. So thank you for all of you that have come to join us. I'd also like to single out a couple of people who have come from a long way away to join us tonight for their second meeting. It's Paul and Angela, all the way from the lovely New Forest, and we're all welcome to go up and stay with them, they said. <laughs> Anytime they like. So before we start, I would like to read out a letter that we have received. Uh, it came in earlier on this week, written in red ink, set the flavor for tonight's talk. It says, Dear Boss, I'll be joining a panel of experts to discuss the acclaimed TV series Ripper Street. Catch us if you can, Mistress Parry. And it was accompanied by half a bag of chips, which... M- <laughs> Mickey Mayhew managed to discover and analyze and eat and came up with the idea that it's probably come from the Happy Days Fish Bar in Golson Street. So a further investigation may be necessary. So without further ado, let me introduce the uh, chair of tonight's panel. Now, Adam Wood needs no introduction to us. He's been a great friend of the Whitechapel Society for many years. And his his publishing company... Mango Books actually published our book to celebrate 21 years of existence of the Whitechapel Society. Um, You can still get that book on the Mango Books website. And if you have an interest in the historical crime, then Mango Books website is the place to go. There's a huge plethora of books on that subject. Um, He's published scholarly articles on major players in the investigation, such as the coroner Wynne Baxter, Sir Melvin McNaughton, and as you've been hearing, he's just uh, completed a biography of Donald Sutherland Swanson. And finally, he's also the executive editor of the Ripperologist magazine, which is one of the most respected journals in the field of Ripperology. So let me pass on to Adam, who's going to introduce the rest of the panel. Adam Wood, everyone. Thank you very much, Tony. I'll start, if I may, by introducing the two gentlemen on my left. One is a world-renowned, highly respected researcher, well-known to all of us for his top-quality, impartial work, and the other is Keith Skinner. (laughs) Beginning in 2012 and continuing throughout its five-year run, Damien Michael Barcroft, on our far left here, conducted a succession of exclusive interviews with the cast and crew 
of the critically acclaimed television series Ripper Street. The following year, Damien also began interviewing the cast and crew of another period detective drama, ITV's Endeavour, the much-loved and highly regarded prequel to Inspector Morse. His first book, The Ripper Street Companion, will be published next year by Mango Books. Keith Skinner. Keith Skinner forged an early career as an actor in cinema and television. Very early. But in the mid-1980s, had established himself as a crime historian and author. He's acted as a consultant on a number of television and film projects, including Ripper Street. And he is a co-author of several books, including The Ripper Legacy, The Jack the Ripper A to Z, The Ultimate Jack the Ripper Sourcebook, and The Official Encyclopedia of Scotland Yard. I'm delighted to say that he's joined the team of the new Jack the Ripper A to Z, which will also be published by Mango Books next year. That's the first he's heard of it. Uh, now, tonight, ladies and gentlemen, I'll be asking Damien and Keith a series of questions on Ripper Street. And at the end, I'll be inviting questions from the floor. Okay, so question number one for both of you. Okay, so the first question for the two of you Have you met before tonight? Yes, yes, we have. Um, we met uh, not last August, the August before that. And uh, I'd just come back from Cyprus, just come back from holiday, and I don't know what happened, some kind of virus, but I lost my hearing in the left side. I haven't found my hearing in the left side, so you'll have to forgive me. Uh, I find it quite def- difficult to hear. Anyway, Keith and I were wandering around um, London and Whitechapel, of course, and then I had to, I had to keep reminding Keith to, this is why I'm on the left here, to talk to me on the right, I couldn't hear at all. Um, we went for a coffee, I think. I think we started by going for a coffee. Um, and it's, it's easier for me if I'm in front of someone so I can read the lips. But on our first meeting, I was very conscious of staring at his lips too much in case I gave him the wrong impression. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was interesting. I thought we were here to talk about Scandinavian political art in the late 18th century. <laughs> Um, No, it's uh, it's a great delight to be here and to meet uh, Damien for the first time. (laughs) As uh, Damien said, we did meet, uh, uh, was it it last August? Whenever, when it was August uh, before. Lindsay uh, was uh, with us. I thought I'd take Lindsay along because she knew where we were going in Whitechapel uh, and um, also because she's great uh, uh, companionship. Great company. Um, next question. Yeah, thank you, Lindsay. So, again, for both of you, how did you become interested in Jack the Ripper and the world of Victorian true crime more generally? I have no interest in Jack the Ripper or the world of Victorian crime. My interest is in political Scandinavian art in the late 18th century, as I keep saying. I was first in, uh, got involved with this. Um, well, not involved, but it was... Uh, it arrested uh, my interest when I was aged seven, I think it was, and I was watching a something on black and white television, he says, between his teeth, um, and somebody, and my brother was in the room w- with me, and somebody came on brandishing a knife, and my brother shouted, Jack the Ripper, Jack the Ripper, and then rushed out the room. I don't know why, but that 
moment just um, was welded into my um, uh, into my psyche, um, and then I sort of it, it stayed with me, and then through secondary modern school, I know you find that difficult to believe, but when I was at secondary modern school, I was interested again, interested in 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 Jack the Ripper, and I went to see with a friend the film Hands of the Ripper. Any of you seen that? Remember that, Barbara Windsor? And um, that sort of... Ex- no. What wasn't... Uh, oh, it's Anna Hard Reasons. Uh, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Good old Bill. Uh, <laughs> um, so we, we, we were both captivated by that film and we went up to the, uh, to, to the East End one Saturday morning, a gloomy Saturday morning, and we just walked around the, the sites, uh, most of which were still there. Um, and we, so that was really my, my starting point, and that was 1965. Unfortunately, I didn't take any photographs, uh, and to my annoyance, Stuart Evans, who was there, I think, just one year after me, uh, did take photographs. We always have a chuckle over that. But really, that was my, my interest, and it just sort of stayed with me ever, uh, ever since. God knows why. Maybe something stunted my childhood. Maybe I was denied the breast. I don't know. Damien? Well, for me, um, I was one of those strange little kids who was obsessed with uh, horror and monster movies. Um, and I was born in 75. And, you know, in those days, I think it was the BBC used to show horror double bills Friday, Saturday night, something like that. Um, so I'd watch the, the Draculas and the Frankensteins. And, um, and one night, it was a study in terror, the uh, Sherlock Holmes, Jack the Ripper film. So as a kid, I kind of thought of Jack the Ripper in the same way that someone would think about Dracula or Jekyll and Hyde or Dorian Gray. To me, he was just this uh, fictional fiend. And then some years later, well, this is 1988 now, uh, the centenary, obviously, uh, of the Ripper murders, and the, the marvellous, fantastic Michael Caine TV movie, the, the miniseries, I watched that. I guess I'd have been 13 then. And that blew me away for several reasons, but two main reasons. One, it was a, a fantastic production, but two, for the first time, I realised that Jack the Ripper was a real character. And that both um, terrified me and fascinated me. So that, it stayed with me. And then, again, this is some years later, um, I was doing a, a drama course and it was coming towards the end of the year and they were asking us, you know, we've got to do a final production. Uh, so we were going through the dusty collection of plays at the college and they're all, you know, the usual suspects if you're particularly interested, uh, interesting. And I said, well, look, if no one wants to do this, that or the other, why don't we write our own? So they all agreed on principle, but no one wanted to write the damn thing. This was round about Easter time before we broke up for two week Easter break. So I said, well, look, I'll write the thing. I'll come back after Easter and we'll do that. Um, and it was, it, was based, it, it, it was a serial killer piece. 
So I went into my local bookshop, this being Stoke-on-Trent, um, and I got a, a, a book about contemporary serial kills. And it was in their own words, uh, this guy, I think it was Dr. Joel Norris, if I remember rightly. And he'd done these interviews, mainly American serial killers. Uh, so it was very, it was an excellent book. But I noticed in the same section with these Jack the Ripper books, and I thought, I'll just get this one for now, but I'm coming back. And I came back, uh, you know, I've kept going back to get these Jack the Ripper books, uh, and it, 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 it's fascinating. So that's how it started, really. Long answer. And a uh, question again for both of you, but perhaps Damien first. How did your association with Ripper Street come about? Ah, oh, well, um, this is interesting. I was... Um, this is at the drama course again. I had a friend there, and when he left uh, college, a few years later, he started to get um, small parts on British soaps. So he got an agent... And about, I don't know, maybe 10 years later, he got back in touch with me. And he said, Daniel, are you still interested in writing? I said, yeah, but, you know, um, there's just no point. Because back then I was interested in writing screenplays. And so I spent all this time doing research, twice that time writing the thing, and I've nowhere, I've nowhere to send it to. They said, well, I've got an agent now, so we can actually get the scripts to studios and production companies. I said, are you kidding me? I couldn't believe it. So we committed to writing a script, and I think we must have spent a year and a half on it. And we didn't really hear much, much from it. He said, let's give it another go. And we wrote another script. I think we spent two years on that. Um, I won't name them, but they, they got to some pretty big production companies. And there was one in Manchester. I won't say any more than that. And they were very excited about the project, and they told us that it came down to ours and someone else's. Um, they went with the other guys. So we were gutted, having spent all that time. Um, he went off to do his thing, and I thought, what am I going to do now? I'd written, um, I'd written a few things for the Whitechapel Society, actually, and um, actually I'd like to take this opportunity to thank the Whitechapel Society, because you were the guys who were the first people to publish me writing. So thank you very much indeed. Um, I then started writing for various blogs, but I was never really satisfied. We were happy to take my ideas and my writing uh, for free, of course. And I thought, you know, if I'm going to write stuff for free, I'm going to write it for my own website. So I created a website, and this would have been around 2012. Coincidentally, divine intervention perhaps, heard about this show uh, called Ripper Street. Now, um, Sherlock, had, the, the Benedict Cumberbatch, had, you know, hit the world, created a storm, a storm a couple of years previous. So I wanted to do something about detective fiction, but there was a load of Sherlock Holmes stuff out there already. So I thought, I need to make it unique. So I kind of created a website, um, dmbarcroft.com, um, and it was detective fiction in the Victorian Gothic. And as I say, at this exact same time, I heard about a show called Ripper Street. So 
I contacted the production company, Tiger Aspect Productions, and bizarrely, they agreed to let me interview people. And it all sort of grew from there, really. Um, and the interviews lasted five years, which was just amazing. And that kind of led to the other stuff, and I guess it led to me being here tonight. So, uh, hi. You know. Keith? So about February 2012, I learned that the production of uh, uh, Ripper Street was going to be uh, made, which I thought, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, and then about a few days later, I was in the um, crime museum at the in the office of the crime museum at New Scotland Yard, and there was this guy in there who was the coroner of South East Essex, and he was asking questions about uh, detective methods in the. Uh, in the late 19th, uh, late 19th century. Didn't actually seem to know too much about it. And in fact, what I picked up, he wasn't all that interested uh, in it. But then, so I asked him a few questions and he said, yeah, he was working on uh, a series called uh, Ripper Street. Um, and I said, oh yeah, I read something about that. Um, so I said to him, well, look, uh, your questions, I sort of know the answers too, but uh, I need to just check my, uh, my own sources. Um, and he said, yeah, that's fine. Well, maybe you can just uh, um, talk, uh, get in touch with, these, uh, uh, with the uh, production company uh, with, the, uh, uh, with the answers. So as I say, I sensed he really wasn't all that interested in, um, uh, in doing what he was doing. So I sent through, um, I made contact with the uh, it was Will Gould, I think it was, the uh, uh, executive producer. Um, and he said, oh, this is extraordinary because we use as a reference source your books for our, our, um, uh, our show, meaning really the ultimate um, uh, Jack the Ripper source book, which I say here on record, and as I have said in print, 85% of that work is due to Stuart Evans tart that I am, I just came in on the last 15% uh, uh, and also um, introduced Stuart to Robert Smith who is actually here uh, in the uh, areas um, and uh, Robert actually um, got a, uh, a publisher for the, uh, uh, for the book. Anyway, uh, that, was, uh, that was my sort of introduction to Ripper Street and to the Will Gould, the executive producer. So I sort of was, they were asking me questions about various aspects of episodes that they were doing, and I was feeding them through uh, answers. I remember one of the questions they asked it was a young PC that gets killed, murdered in the end of series. One is it? Is it Dick Hobbs? PC Dick Hobbs. PC, yeah. PC Dick Hobbs, and they wanted to know how that sort of uh, funeral uh, would be uh, organised, uh, and I said, "Well, look, really, what happens?" Uh, and I was drawing from PC Ernest Thompson, who I think some of you probably know who I mean, who was murdered around somebody shaking their yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm right. It was about 1890. He was murdered by Barnett Abrahams in Whitechapel in 1890. Anyway, there was a, a great 
funeral for him and about, I don't know, 2,000, there might have been more, uh, over 2,000 police officers turned out for the, uh, uh, for the funeral. So I said to Will, well, look, what happened drawing on a, uh, a contemporary source is that you have about 2,000 policemen. Uh, you're going to need 2,000 extras on, uh, uh, on site. So they immediately abandoned that idea. Um, um, and so it went on like that. And then come, I don't know, it's probably the following year, they, oh, no, they sent me a couple of tapes of the, uh, of the shows um, and, said, and I had a meeting with them. And they said, what did you think about uh, the first two episodes? And to be honest, I wasn't quite sure about it, which I said to them. I you know, was a little bit uh, apprehensive about it. And they said, oh, okay, then, well, the thing is, you know, if we go to a second series, we would like to commission you as the historical consultant. At which point I said it was the best thing I'd seen in British drama. <laughs> Undoubtedly, they would be BAFTA nominated and scoop all the awards. So that was how it sort of started for me, and then they went to uh, Series 2. Series 2 was commissioned, uh, and then uh, I was on board. I should say that my response to Series 1 was I just thought Mayanna Buring was absolutely fabulous as uh, Susan. Um, really, really compelling. Some would say crap. No. Okay. Uh, but anyway, um, so that's how I got in, uh, involved with it. That's the end of the evening, ladies and gentlemen. I think the... Um, I think it was Jerome Flynn that got BAFTA nominated. I think that was the whole... the, the only nomination that Rip Street got in the five years, which was shameful in my opinion. Sorry, Adam. No problem, Damien. All Okay. Okay, next question um, for both of you again. Uh, for those of you, everybody here tonight and perhaps those listening to the podcast who haven't actually seen the TV series, which, by the way, is set in the heart of the East End, a stone's throw from where we'll be sitting tonight. <laughs> Can you explain the initial idea behind Ripper Street and how the story and its characters evolved throughout its five-year run? Does that mean? Okay. Um, hands up, have, have you seen Rep Street? Sure, right, that's, that's good, okay, a few of you. Um, okay, it sat six months after the last Ripper murder, so I get that, uh, that takes us to April, I should think, April 1889. Um, Detective Inspector Edmund Reed um, is learning to cope with the guilt of not capturing the Ripper Um, but he's also trying to cope with the loss of his daughter his daughter um, went missing there was an accident at sea so him and his wife uh, Emily uh, are really struggling with that Um, but it's about so many more things than that Um, Abilene obviously he's still haunted by not having captured the Ripper um, but you've got a really great character called uh, Captain Homer Jackson, played by Adam Rothenberg. Um, and he really... When I go back and watch these episodes, as I obviously have to do when I'm writing this book, I often 
get the impression that his character was created um, for the audience's benefits and that he's an American, he's an outsider. He doesn't know uh, Whitechapel, he doesn't know London, he doesn't know England. And I think we often see um, the storylines through his perspective, which is quite useful because although a lot of us here tonight obviously know a lot about Jack the Ripper and uh, Victorian history, uh, it, it's still an alien world. Um, it, 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 it's something that you can't quite um, relate to. You can relate to it academically, but you, I don't. I wonder whether you, you can. Can you relate to it personally, Keith? Would you say? Can you relate to the subject personally? Um, yes and no. He says, hedging his bets. I think academically you can, but I think Adam Rothenberg offers this sort of um, personal insight. Uh, And his wife, as as you've mentioned, Mayanna Boering, plays Long Susan. There's there's a big backstory there as well. Keith's already spoiled one of the things (laughs) to do with Dick Hobbs. I'm very wary. I I don't want to do too many spoilers tonight, so I'm going to be a little bit mean on the details. but you've got that, and then you've also got um, Bennett Drake, played by Jerome Flynn. He's got his whole backstory where, with the African wars. He's got his, um, his scars as well. Um, yeah. I mean, the answer to, to, uh, to your question, uh, uh, Damien, is uh, could I relate to it? Yes, I could relate to it uh, as, a, uh, as an actor, because I thought the dynamics between those three central uh, characters was just fabulous. Oh, no, 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 you get me wrong. I wasn't saying that we can't relate personally to the drama. I was saying that it's difficult to relate to the the historical aspects. You know, I I mean, Lindsay was kind enough to take us round uh, Whitechapel. I'd never seen those sites before. Um, but obviously, it, it's unrecognisable. There's, there's yeah. nothing there. Um, so what I meant was, we can relate to the subject matter, the context, academically, but on a on a personal level, it's difficult to connect with the the police that were involved. It's difficult to connect with the victims. That that was what I was saying. Well, I mean, surprising as it may seem, I wasn't actually around in late. 19th century Whitechapel, so I can't really relate to it on that uh, aspect. I know that's a, so on a personal a, level. Yeah, no, I can't. No, 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 that was my point. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I'm giving you a flippant answer to a question which has integrity behind it, uh, but the answer is no. I couldn't really relate to it on the level that you wish me to embrace. Must try harder. Okay, m- moving on, there, there was some criticism from diehard scholars of the Whitechapel murders that because in a TV show entitled Ripper Street, the Ripper never actually appeared. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, well, I'll kick off with that because Will Gould, uh, in a very early interview with, uh, I think it was Frog Moody, actually covered that point very well uh, and just said, well... Um, what was your question? That it wasn't that it wasn't anything to do with uh, Jack the Ripper. 
Uh, the Ripper never appeared in the yeah, series. Yeah, the Ripper never appeared. Uh, uh, appeared. No, they didn't want the Ripper to uh, uh, to appear. The whole premise of the series is that it was life goes on in Whitechapel without the without the Ripper needing to appear. His uh, presence is always there. It's always felt. But you know, things there were other things going on. Uh, uh, in the East End of uh, London um, without having him appear. And can you imagine the flack that that program would have got if Maybrick had suddenly appeared or anyone, you know, anyone else? You know, it would have just lost its uh, 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 credibility if indeed the um, uh, Maybrick had, uh, if, the rip, if the Ripper had been uh, identified as Maybrick, or whoever, you know, whoever of the 200-plus suspects that we now have uh, in the frame. Uh, so I think that was the answer to the question that you asked. If not, it's the answer to the question you should have asked. And Damien... What was your opinion on the controversy surrounding the negative portrayal of women after the first episode was broadcast? Keith, you're standing on me wire. Thank you. Um, Keith, I've got notes. Could you hold the microphone while I get the notes out? Is that okay? Do you want me to give the answer, my, my, my response to what? that, whilst <laughs> Damien is looking at his... Yeah, well... At the time, I mean, it didn't bother me. It didn't actually bother me now. I remember reading, I think it was Indian Night in the Sunday Times, saying this was really retrograde misogyny or something, and she was really thinking that here we have, uh, we have battered women, we have uh, uh, women who are murdered, women who are actually... At you know, going through a bad time uh, in uh, Whitechapel. Do we really need to see this? Murdered, wi- murdered women, sobbing women, wi- weeping women. Well, you know, that's what it was like in the East End of London at that time. Um, you know, uh, it wasn't just vowels that were dropped up the East End, up, up the alleyways. You know, they were dropping other things to survive. Um, hello, Hallie Rubinhold. Um, so it really didn't bother me, and I think I just got annoyed at Indian Nights' uh, criticism, in, as I say, in the Sunday Times. She also thought that it shouldn't have been shown at nine o'clock at night because older children would be watching it. Well, over to you. Thanks, uh, Keith. Um, I didn't come across Indian Nights' article. But I, I because it's the Sunday Times. <laughs> <laughs> That's fighting talk where I'm from, Keith. Um, Caitlin Moran, um, who also writes for the Sunday Times, so I don't think... Sorry. Yeah. Um, well, I've got, I've got a quote from Caitlin Moran. Uh, first thing to say, I want to put this into... In, in perspective, because I remember, you know, people that I know, um, who I know don't watch Ripper Street, had come up to me and say, oh, Ripper Street, oh, it's a, it's a bad lot, that isn't it? 
I said, have you seen the show? Oh, no, no, but I've seen it on, on the Twitter and Facebook and stuff. Um, let me put it in perspective. Uh, the first episode attracted more than 90 complaints from viewers concerned about its graphic depiction of sex and violence. And this seemed to hit some of the headlines, and it became a talking point, as I say, for a while. However, and I'm trying to put this in perspective now, this figure is from the BBC News website, 30th of January 2013. Uh, the first series attracted an average audience of 7.1 million. Um, to put that into context, and the following two figures are from uh, Bob, which is the Broadcasters Audience Research Board. Um, so Ripper Street was 7.1 million. The first episode of His Dark Materials was 7.2 million. The last episode of Line of Duty was 12.1 million. So, you know, Ripper Street did pretty well. Um, this is back to the BBC stats now. Ripper Street earned a 22.9 audience share in its Sunday night slot. The show uh, became the US cable channels, this is BBC America, when it was later shown there, it became the, um, the second most successful drama after Doctor Who. Um, 12th of November, 2014, the Radio Times wrote an article in which it stated that the petition, this is when Ripper Street got cancelled, rather foolishly by the BBC, if I may say so, when it got cancelled, over 50,000 people, uh, over 50,000 signatures were signed petition for the return of Ripper Street. So you've got 90 odd people, and I stress the word odd. If anybody knows anyone who, was, who felt so outraged that they got to write to the BBC to complain about a programme that was shown at 9 o'clock after the watershed, there were warnings given before the programme started, um, and it was called Ripper Street. It wasn't called Snowflake Street, Fairy Street, or whatever. It was called Rip Street. I think the clue is in the title. Um, however, there's more. Uh, Caitlin Moran. She wrote an article in the Sunday Times, 5th of January 2013, this is. I think Rip Street started in the December of 2012. Quote, I know Rip Street's objective was to show just how depraved unequal and violent Victorian society was. I agree with that. I have no problem with that. But she then goes on to say, I don't think I can see any more sex workers being beaten, tortured, murdered. I'm done. I'm all in. As a female viewer, it's doing my head in. Moran then continued to list various negative roles of, or professions for women in Ripper Street and other TV shows, but sarcastically concludes, quote, I don't know what other kinds of female characters you could replace them with. What other jobs do women have? Do women even have jobs? I find it hard to remember. Maybe we should just have all male casts to be on the safe side. So this obviously added fuel to the controversy that spread, even though the areas in which it was spreading, many people hadn't actually watched Ripper Street. However, 
I would argue that it's worth, it's a relevant point, it's worth pointing out, uh, that this is from a writer whose columns in the Times are known for their female perspective or narrative. She's also the author of How to Be a Woman. I once wrote an article, this is the 15th of March 2017, in which she said, quote, if I had one piece of advice, sorry, if I had one piece of advice for young girls and women, it would be this. Girls, don't read any books by men. Stay away from them. End of quote. So my point is, I have no problem with Caitlin Moran. In fact, if anything, as I understand it, I think she's a, a girl from the Midlands, from Wolverhampton, which is not too far away from me. So I have enormous respect for uh, Caitlin Moran as a columnist and as an author. However, I just think it's worth pointing out that that controversy was someone who often leads her articles with a, a strong female narrative. And again, there were 90 people complaining. There was 50,000 people upset when the show was cancelled. How are we doing for time, Adam? I apologise. <laughs> OK. Uh, question for Keith now. Sure. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Uh, and the most important point of all, forgive me, I've just chat me notes, Ripper Street did in fact feature very strong women. It did. That is a fact. I just wish Caitlin Moran had watched a few more episodes before she wrote that article. Apologies, Keith. No, I was actually going to make that same point that, you know, Susan, um, uh, Mayanna, looked like she could really stand up for herself, and indeed she did stand up for herself. Yeah. So, yeah, it did uh, bring out the... Can you hear me over there? Has Robert gone to sleep yet? No. Um, uh, uh, yes, uh, uh, the character uh, of uh, Long Susan was really uh, powerful and a lot of strength to her. Fabulous actress. Thank you, Kiefer. Just referring to the image on the screen, you had a cameo in Ripper Street. Is it, is it true that you actively campaigned to have a larger acting role? Oh, God, yes. I let it be known that I would sleep with anyone, anything, one leg, two legs, four legs, even you. To get a uh, uh, to get an actor uh, a more uh, uh, active part. No, actually, the uh, uh, the reality is that uh, when I came on board for series two, um, I sort of played my equity card uh, and said, you know, it'd be uh, fun to maybe uh, get a part or do something uh, in it. Uh, and they said, yeah, okay, okay, okay. So every script that came my way. I said, uh, yeah, okay, well, I don't think this is quite historically accurate, and no, he wouldn't have done that. And uh, incidentally, there's actually a character in scene three which I might be able to uh, perhaps have a stab at. And so I whinged and whinged and whinged throughout all the scripts that came my uh, way, and eventually they caved in and gave me a part uh, as a corrupt lawyer uh, in the end, I think it was the last episode of series two. <coughs> um, and so that was how I 
got into uh, into it. I should say that as a result of being in that one t- uh, that uh, doing that tiny part in one uh, episode, I thereafter looked for every opportunity to uh, reinstate my character as a corrupt lawyer, and I went to the ends of the earth to uh, look for an opportunity, be it a scene in a church where there was a minister or a cleric, and I said, well, look, maybe I could do that and show that it is this corrupt lawyer who has found the true meaning of life. Um, Or uh, there was a scene, I think, which took place in a factory with a foreman, and I said, well, look, maybe the corrupt lawyer could be the uh, foreman uh, and to show that he's really turned over his uh, uh, turned over a new leaf um, I think I even said there was a, an execution scene where I said well look maybe the lawyer, the lawyer corrupt lawyer could be the executioner who is sort of <laughs> and so it went on and on I think my coup de grace was right when we get to the end of Ripper Street uh, the actual last episode. Sadie, no. uh, what was it called? Sad, no, I'm saying Sadie, no, not too many spoilers. Okay, well, okay, well, um, my my um, uh, uh, contribution to that or suggestion was for that is that Reed uh, comes into Lehman Street and it's New Year's Eve, December, yeah, December the 31st, 1899. We're just coming in to a new century, in comes Reed, languid, thinking that it's, this is it, it's, he's, had, he's had enough, and he goes, passes through the, uh, the station, and in the background there are cells, and the, co- the officers are all, shout, are all singing um, uh, 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 should old acquaintance, and I said, well, look, maybe in the cell you could see this corrupt lawyer <laughs> joining in the uh, singing. Uh, but they'd got on to me by then. <laughs> so, um, with your work on Ripper Street, what was the atmosphere like on set? And looking back, were there any special memories of working with the cast and crew that spring to mind? Yeah, um, I mean, I was only in uh, Dublin for two, two or three days. Um, and the uh, atmosphere, I, I mean, it was a good, it was a good atmosphere. Um, I mean, bearing in mind that it was 30 years uh, since I'd actually done an acting part in front of a, uh, in front of a, uh, uh, a camera. You could, tell. Uh, you could indeed. <laughs> it should also be pointed out that this was series two when they decided to axe the whole thing. And that was when my episode was. Um, but it had all changed uh, very much when, you know, from, from when I uh, had done a lot of work on television. It was now so quick. Uh, there was no room for time for rehearsal. It was just uh, come here, you sit there now, uh, say what you have to say. Right, blah, blah, blah. right fine, okay. And uh, then they go for it. They go for a take. Absolutely no no discussion about about the uh, about the character and uh, what he's feeling and what he had for breakfast and all that nonsense that one goes through at drama at, uh, uh, at drama school. The great thrill for me was that uh, my scene was with Mayanna, uh and she uh, 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 she had to react to something which I 
said or I erected something which she, she said. But I remember I, I had to call her a bitch or something uh, and then get thrown out of, the, uh, uh, of her boudoir. Uh, but I remember when I was doing it, I said the line and then walked past her and I thought I'd give her a look of contempt uh, as, I, as I went past her. Uh, and I remember vividly that charge of electricity that was actually coming from her. And I thought, wow, you know, this is really a smashing uh, actress. And it would have been lovely to have uh, developed some scenes with her. She's also actually a, a lovely person off, uh, uh, off screen. Complete opposite than, than, uh, uh, than, uh, than you would expect from this wonderful straight laced uh, uh, on the edge of uh, a morality character that she, uh, she portrays off, off, uh, uh, offset she's this Scandinavian rock chick who you know just belts out rock songs and really has a great uh, a great time wonderful lady you also worked as consultant on From Hell the movie with Johnny Depp how did that experience as historical consultant compare with your time on Ripper Street? Very similar. Uh, Stuart Evans and I took the producers uh, around uh, Whitechapel and showed them the uh, sites, uh, or what sites there were for them to, uh, uh, to see. Um, and then over lunch, here we go again, I played my equity card. Uh, and said, well, that should be quite nice, you know, maybe I could find a small part for myself in it. And they said, yeah, yeah, great, great, great idea, Keith, yeah, wonderful. So uh, we got the script, and I found a little tiny uh, part, which uh, I thought I could play, and I said, you know, this, this character here, I think he was actually a, uh, uh, a, a reverend who was responsible for writing the Dear Boss letter. That was what it was. Uh, that was what it was uh, about. And they said, "I said, yeah, maybe I could do that." And they said, "Yeah, great idea." So they, I thought, well, good, I'm in. I then went back to them a few days later, and I said, "This character that I'm playing, he actually is a justification for him actually appearing in further on in the uh, uh, in the script. Maybe in scene five, you could actually put him in there." And here's the justification. They looked and they said, "Yeah, I think you got a point there, Keith. Yeah, fine." A few days later, I went back to them and I said, but this, uh, uh, this uh, character I'm playing, uh, who is uh, a minister of the church, perhaps, perhaps, just perhaps, he could be the spiritual advisor for Mary Kelly. Um, and they looked at me and said, well, let's, we'll, we'll, we'll think about it. And, you know, by the time I'd finished, the whole film was about me and Mary Kelly and Johnny Depp had been relegated to a walk-on. <laughs> so I didn't get, in <laughs> didn't get into that. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it, it was good to work on. Most of our work was done on the script uh, because I think they had legal problems and Robert, I know, uh, over there, Robert Smith, uh, I know, was monitoring this on behalf of Stuart Evans and myself. Uh, Stuart went to, uh, to Prague and he has spent a few days over there uh, on set, had a good relationship with uh, uh, Johnny Depp. Um, so, yeah, it was, a, it, was a good, uh, uh, it was a good gig. Thank you. Uh, Damien, turning to the book, as a fan of Ripper Street, to what extent did you find it difficult to be objective while writing and address any possible criticisms leveled against the show? Uh, 
Um, you're going to have to repeat that question. But before you do, I just want to come back to Keith. Because you ha- didn't Mayanna Boerin, who plays Long Susan, invite you home for dinner? Can you please tell everyone what she made you for dinner? She invited me out to dinner with the, uh, with the cast, uh, but I think that was probably more out of sympathy than anything else. So I, uh, uh, I turned her down. Oh, okay. Um, so Adam, uh, the question again, please. As a, as a fan of the show, oh, yeah. to what extent did you find it difficult to be objective while writing the book and address any possible criticisms levelled against the show? Um, I would like to think that I was, that I am and continue to be 100% objective when it comes to some of the themes and issues that the, that the series and my book explores. Um, wherever possible, I have always tried to offer both sides of the argument. So, for example, um, episode Two of the first series uh, deals with child gangs and juvenile crime. Um, I've spoken to not just one, but a few, several even, academics that say there was not a problem with child gangs and juvenile crime in the Victorian era, which surprised me greatly um, from my own sort of understanding, but even more so when I consult other Um, historians, academics, commentators and they say yeah there was a problem and this has become a reoccurring thing really Um, I have to say at this point I'm very very grateful to every single person and goodness knows there's a lot of them who have helped me as a consultant or as an interviewee for the book Um, it almost feels like it's as much your book as it is mine but you're not getting any money from it, sorry. Um, the academics, for example, with, ju- with child gangs of juvenile crime, I'd get responses that said, um, I can talk about uh, child gangs, but I couldn't possibly comment on juvenile crime, um, which, which surprises me. But they seem to be a quite insular uh, lot. The... Um, they know their field, their focus of study, extremely well, uh, but feel very, very uncomfortable um, stepping outside of that, even just a little bit. Um, so, as I say, wherever possible, I've always tried to offer um, two sides uh, of each story. I guess another good, good example would be the... Um, I don't know whether I'm allowed to say this, Adam, whether you're going to shut me up... Um, the Diary of Jack the Ripper. Yes, hello. Hello, Robert. <laughs> Hi, Robert. Um, one of the episodes, that, again, this is in the first series, deals with um, poisoning. So there's this guy who poisons people. And I did all this research, uh, a lot of interviews with people who, who've written books about poison and poisoners. Um, but all the time I was thinking, I can't... I can't, you know, a book about... Well, it's, it's never been about Jack the Ripper, neither has the uh, TV series, as, as Keith said. And yet, I can't help but keep thinking back to the Maybrick case. Obviously, his wife um, 
poisoned him, or, or not. Keith will perhaps tell us more. Um, so I wanted to offer that into the book to, to, to put that into, uh, into the context. Um, so I got... I sent Robert a few emails, got his perspective, um, which was wonderful. Um, very curiously, though, um, I couldn't get anyone to, on record, say a bad word about the Maybrick Diary. So if anybody feels like saying a bad word about the Maybrick Diary, please see me afterwards and I'll buy you a drink. Because um, it is a complicated matter. Um, so I don't know whether Robert's, you know, kind of a godfather around here and no one dares say a word against him. <laughs> is that right, Robert? <laughs> Indeed, yeah, I suspect as much. Um, yeah, I've kind of digressed once again, Adam. Apologies. That's okay, move on to the next one. Again, aim for you, Damien. Oh, okay. I know you've conducted a lot of uh, research, both in terms of material background and picture research. Oh, yeah. And your book explores many various aspects of Victorian history and culture, many of which are quite complicated and detailed. How would you describe the book and your approach to researching it? Um, I'd say it was a, a bloody nightmare, which is why it's taken me so long. Um, it's been uh, three years in the making. Three years in the, is that when we met? Three years ago. I, I think it's, uh, compared to Swanson, it's uh, half a time. So. Oh, well, uh, that makes me feel better. But actually, if you look at it in terms of when I first started the interviews back in 2012, um, I've been kind of working on and off at a research level, certainly, for, for seven years. So it is kind of a, a, a labour of love. I can honestly say that with every... Um, n- not even every, not even every paragraph, but every every sentence. I can't write more than five words without having to consult various books, most of which are Keith's, by the way. You know, uh, the the source book and the uh, with Stuart Evans, of course, and the A to Z with Martin and, and Paul. Um, they're permanently by my side. So, no no subject is is, is easy to research. So I hope, when I finally finish the book, and hopefully a few of you might read it, that you will agree that I've been objective. However, when it comes to the reviews, I kind of reserve the right to be a little bit subjective because at the end of the day, it is one person's opinion. Um, But I would like to think that it is at least an informed opinion having uh, done so many interviews with the cast and crew. Uh, yeah, but I think what's, what, what's particularly interesting, I don't know whether this is going to cross over to another question you've got, Adam, um, but you can't do a book about Ripper Street without looking at um, Detective Inspector Edmund Reed, who we've got on the, on the left there when he retired. Uh, that's him there in uh, Hampton-on-Sea. Um, I think those pictures, Fred C. Palmer would have been taken... Um, 1910, 1912, that sort of era. I think they were taken over a two-year period. Um, and I was, you know, this is the guy that was on the trail of, of, of Jack the Ripper, but he was also, you know, he, he did a whole lot more. Um, and the most bizarre thing was that he retires to, to Hampton-on-Sea um, 
and he's got this little shack, this little shed at the bottom of his garden where he sells postcards of himself. And if you look at that picture, um, I think you, you can agree there's a certain flamboyancy, a certain showmanship. And I just think it's absolutely lovely that um, in 2012, all those years later, that he would be the star of his own TV show, really. Um, but what's absolutely lovely is, um, I think it was your great-great-grandson. Let me check. I've lost my pen now. Um, yes, it was. It was great-great-grandson. Uh, Tim Smith. Um, that is Mabel. And she was Edmund Reed's granddaughter. So I interviewed Tim Smith, and he was telling me the story of how he used to see his, uh, his Aunt Mabel in her elderly years, and he'd go around for a cup of tea and some biscuits, and she used to tell him these stories about Edmund Reed, who hunted Jack the Ripper. Um, and she used to go, I guess she'd have been around about 12 there, 11, 12, 13 possibly, and she used to spend her holidays there in Hampton-on-Sea. And she used to work in this little... Uh, you've seen the postcard. Have we, got, have we not got a picture, the famous picture? Of the, no. Must try harder again. Um, you've got this little shed. And when he was off uh, giving, handing out brandies and cigars to the people who interviewed reporters who wanted to talk about the coastal erosion in Hampton-on-Sea and Herne Bay, who wanted to talk about um, Jack the Ripper... She'd be manning the little shed, uh, and sailors would often come past, uh, buy a laminade or whatever, chatting her up. Imagine chatting up Edmund Reed's, uh, you know, niece. It, 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 just, seems, it just seems crazy. Um, so the, the, the book is bookended, really, with um, her journey down to Hampton-on-Sea, and obviously we deal with Ad, uh, Edmund Reed's death at the end. Um, wherever possible, I, sh- I should mention, although Ripper Street is a drama, it's fictional, like with the uh, Maybrick diary and things like that, poisoning, I always try to relate the, the fiction to the, the historical aspects. Um, yeah. Sorry. Um, for listeners to Jonathan's podcast, the uh, images that Damien is referring to can be found in Nick Connell and Stuart Evans' book on uh, uh, on Reed, the man who hunted Jack the Ripper, I think it was. Um, and just as a diversion, of, I've got time for the uh, diversion because uh, uh, Damien has uh, um, uh, referenced... Read in retirement at Hearn Bay, I think it was, when I wanted, uh, when, when uh, Ripper Street came to an end um, and I was hoping that they might pick it up and go into the uh, 20th century, I suggested to Richard Warlow, the uh, 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 creator of the series, that maybe they should start with Reed in retirement, in his caravan or shack or whatever it was uh, in Hearn Bay, Hearn Bay, reading the newspapers, and we are now into 1902, 
and Reed is at breakfast reading the Times and splutters over his cornflakes because he's reading about Klazowski, Chapman, uh, just being um, uh, arrested and going for uh, the trial for the murder of who the hell was it? Matilda Clover? Anyway, uh, but Abilene was uh, 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 there and Abilene was saying, good, they've got Jack the Ripper at last. And here we have Reed spluttering over his uh, cornflakes at this uh, announcement, thinking that Fred Abilene, who's now completely cracked and lost it, because, I mean, Abilene was wonderfully portrayed through... Uh, Ripper Street by is it Clive 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 Baxter Clive Russell the uh, 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 the actor wonderful wonderful portrayal of uh, uh, Abilene um, and I just thought that if they started on that episode Reed coming out of retirement going after Abilene saying well, what are you on about Chapman Ripper and that would have been the start for me of the birth of Ripperology where anybody and everybody is game as a suspect. Just one slight correction there, Keith, for people listening at home. These images are new finds by Damien in the past two or three weeks, I believe. Uh, very similar to the images in Nick and Stuart's book, but these are new, a new card. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> moving on to the next question. Well, you just touched on it, Keith. Um, how accurately do you think the writers of Ripper Street portrayed real-life characters such as Reed, Abilene and Joseph Merrick, for example? That's Clive Russell there. For the, no, that's not for the podcast listeners, is it? Um, how accurate? Not very. And speaking of accuracy, I think I got it right once, but I, uh, Mabel is his, his granddaughter. I think I referred to her uh, as a... Yeah his niece at one point. Um, Ripper Street, as I'm sure Keith will agree, was never intended... It wasn't a docudrama. It was never intended as such. Um, the decision to, as you... I think you uh, alluded to this a little bit, the decision to set it after the last uh, Ripper murder was a very good one. Although it's disappointing for ripperologists and fans of the genre, I think it was a very wise one. If Richard Warlow, the, the series creator, lead writer, had have set it in 88 as opposed to 89, he would have been bound by the, you know, all the historical facts. In setting it afterwards, it, it freed him and the other writers to pursue other storylines in a much more flexible way. Okay? Now, the way that uh, Abilene was portrayed, I don't really have too much problem with that at all. He's a supporting character. Uh, I think for one series, he's not even in it. He comes and goes. But because he's such a wonderful actor, um, he, has, he has this huge impact whenever he's in it. Um, so, yeah, I don't have a problem with that. Um, the question of Edmund, Edmund Reed is slightly different. And I spend a lot of time in the book examining this. Um, again, if you haven't seen Ripper Street, I really like to watch it. 
Uh, the DVDs are pretty cheap now, and you can get it if you've got Amazon Prime, you can watch it all. Um, however, uh, so I'm not going to go into spoilers, but there's a certain episode, uh, Series 3, Episode 2, which takes great dramatic license in uh, quite a, a terrible act that Edmund Reed does. And I questioned the writer of that episode, Toby Finley. Um, Toby's an excellent writer, a fantastic screenwriter, and uh, you know, an even better person. I'm glad to call him a friend. However, I really had to question some of the decisions he made creatively um, in that second episode of, of Series 3. Because it's a criminal act, and he has to leave Whitechapel. Um, to what extent um, should we um, tarnish the reputations of police officers or anybody for that matter you know anyone historically um, it, it, it's quite a debate and Toby reminded me as I started when I was answering this question it, it's not a docudrama he's clearly dealing with a fictional Edmund Reed. Um, so, yeah, it's a complex issue. With the elephant man, uh, Joseph Merrick, um, again, he, he, he was in two episodes, um, the first two episodes of series two. Um, didn't have a huge part in the first one, the next one, it was more significant. Uh, it portrays him, for those that have seen it, uh, virtually not running, but quickly walking up a flight of stairs um, to save the life of a, of a child, which obviously anyone who knows anything about Joseph Merrick, it, it, it's completely implausible that Joseph couldn't do that any more than he could uh, be Jack the Ripper, could he, Keith? No. Um, but, so it does take some dramatic licences, um, but as I say, it's... You've got to take the series with a pinch of salt. I don't think there were many historical blunders, too many. I remember one episode... Have we got any experts on bread or toast, Victorian bread or toast? No one. I thought there'd be... No, that's very disappointing. Must try harder. Um, there's an episode where one of the characters is eating uh, his breakfast and there's, sli uh, there's sliced toast... So, anyone who knows about toast, I don't think they had toast as sliced bread back then. Anyway, uh, apart from that, I don't have much of a problem. How about you, Keith? Yeah, well, I mean, this thing of uh, anachronisms and historical accuracy and inaccuracy is something which, um, yeah, it's, uh, uh, it's there um, and you're aware of it. Um, but, you know... As uh, uh, as Damien said, it isn't a docudrama; it is a drama, and so there is a certain amount of artistic uh, and drama uh, dramatic uh, uh, license, which I'm all in favour uh, of. Uh, as a consultant, you bring to the writers and the producers' attention things which note that wouldn't have happened, and if you do this, you're going to have complications in uh, this area. But the actor in me says, yeah, I can see what you're getting uh, at. And you give them suggestions uh, how they can overcome problems they have uh, in some of the uh, scenes. 
like, I don't know, introducing a corrupt lawyer who they first saw in the end of scene uh, episode, uh, 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 the end of series two. Uh, but yeah, but you know, if people are sort of looking at the series and at the, uh, uh, at the uniform of the police officers uh, and say, well, no, that's right, they wouldn't have an eight-button tunic then, it would have been five-button or the, or the stripes are upside down or whatever, then I think, well, you've lo- you're, you're lost if that's all they're uh, looking at. There was, I think, in the first, in the first series... First scene in Reed's office, they had Venetian blinds which weren't patented until 1888. So, in fact, they were spot on there because this was uh, 1889. But for someone to have sort of picked that up, uh, and the, I, w- I mean, I wasn't advising on that. Uh, episode but if I was well what do you do to justify that do you have Drake coming into Reed's uh, uh, office you know with a uh, with some guy he's arrested and beat the crap out of him and as he's doing that say to Reed oh incidentally Ted lovely blinds you've got out there oh yeah actually they are you know just been patented actually uh, Bennett, uh, you know, just you know, in order to justify having Venetian blinds uh, in his uh, office. So, really, all of that uh, um, uh, anachronisms, yeah, they're they're going to be there. You can't you can't note uh, every one of them. The one I was particularly in, uh, wanted to make sure they got right was when they introduced Commission. Bradford uh, towards the end of the series and Bradford actually was a commissioner, the one-armed uh, 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 commissioner so I thought well they've actually got to get that right because I know people will be down uh, on the consultants or the advisors if you see uh, Bradford uh, gesticulating with uh, uh, two uh, uh, two arms, so I made sure they got that one right. I think medals was another one that they were. I was sort of keen that they got that right. But um, anyway, next question. In fact, it's the last question before we hand it over to the audience. Sorry, can I just come back to the Elephant Man because of course, the, yeah. the, the, there's just one more point to make. I think some people, and this is with some understanding and sympathy, I think some people were upset in the way in which Joseph died in that episode, because obviously, again, it wasn't true. It was dramatic license. Um, but again, I think the writers just about got away with it. But I, but I can understand why people were upset. Again, if you haven't seen it, you know, you'll have to watch it. I wanted uh, Reed to actually, in one episode, come into Lehman Street on a hot air balloon because that was yeah because yeah because I mean that was uh, that was his his great thing I thought it'd been a wonderful wonderful drone shot of him coming into Lehman Street on a hot air balloon and parachuting out into it missed opportunity I know so last question in in hindsight to both of you in hindsight were there any characters or storylines which you feel just didn't work No. 
Um, there was one bit of casting which did, didn't work for me, uh, which was um, Reed's wife, Emily, actress called Amanda Hale, who I know is a smashing actress, but it just didn't, didn't work for me, and I noticed that they dropped her from series two. I'm not sure what the inside story of that was. She looked sort of uncomfortable. She looked sort of unhappy as an actress. Um, so, um, yeah, it just, that, that, her character just didn't quite jar for, uh, for me. It didn't seem right. Yeah, I, I would agree with that, uh, and I think I think the uh, the writers probably did the best thing in, in dropping the character. I think the problem was that one couldn't sympathise with her character because every time Reed came home from work, um, she she'd be nagging him, she'd be crying, this that and the other, and I think the final nail in the coffin was. Um, uh, I forget which episode it was. It was towards the end of the first series, and she she says to Reed when he comes home after a hard day's work, uh, "I want." Bear in mind the the daughter Matilda has, has gone missing after you know for years. Uh, I want a bedroom cleaned out, all the, all the toys, a bed, and everything taken away. Which which obviously Edmund Reed can't do because the whole well not the whole point, but one of the main uh, narrative strands of the series is that Reed is this hopeful guy that he has faith that his daughter is still alive. Uh, so I think in, in her sort of giving Reed this ultimatum, I think it really turned the audience against her, um, which, was, which was unfortunate because I would have liked to have seen a different side to Edmund Reed. Uh, and I think the best that we, we got was um, a wonderful actress named Leanne Best, and she played uh, the historical character Jane Cobden, the, uh, the counsellor. And I think a lot of the... Uh, once uh, Emily Reed was written out of it, uh, Jane Cobden kind of took over that role. And Matthew McFadden's performance and Leanne's Best, uh, Leanne Best's performance was wonderful. There was some really tender moments... Which was which was a nice break from the you know the the grisly stuff. Um, talking about casting though, it's odd because I was thrilled to hear about the show, but I was very very sceptical about the three leads. Um, Matthew McFadden to me, I don't think I'd seen him in anything, but he was in wasn't it Pride and Prejudice, Darcy. So I thought you know he's sort of Granny's favourite. You know, kind of, and then another granny's favourite was Jerome Flynn, which back in the nineties, when I was in my teenage years, I just remember him from god awful renditions of you know Unchained Melody and things like things like that. And then I thought the the casting of a an American Adam Rothenberg was there just to appease the American audiences, but I was proven wrong because the, the three of them were superb, and it was apparent from. Possibly the first episode, but if not, second, third episode, that they have this wonderful, wonderful chemistry. Yeah. Thank you very much, gentlemen. I'm going to hand over to Tony to see if there's any questions from the audience for you. Great. 
That's great. Thanks so much, guys. That was terrific. And can I just say, Damien, your articles were fantastic, and it was our pleasure to hold those articles for you. So thank, thank you. That's lovely to thank hear. You. Thank you. No, thank you. And um, you have a, a book coming out. Maybe you'd like to come back to us when you have that published. We'd love to hear from you again. Absolutely, yeah. It'd be lovely welcome. to come back, yeah. Okay, terrific. Um, listen, guys, we are running a little bit late. This place will close in about an hour or so, about 10 o'clock. We've still got an auction to do, and we have the raffle to do. So we are going to go straight into some questions, but I'm literally going to have about five minutes for questions. I do apologize. Um, so if you'd like to put your hands up, um, if you have a question, I am going to hold the microphone to you. Uh, Lindsay, you know how to hold a microphone. You can take it. But um, if you have a question, put your hand up. I'll get to you, but I'm only going to be able to take some. Is that okay? Yeah? So, Lindsay, have a question, and then I'll take any other questions I can in the time that I've got. Okay? Okay, go ahead, Lindsay. Uh, it's not actually a question. It was just to let people know, if you haven't heard already, that... For the last week, there's been a funding campaign for a headstone for Edmund Reed. It's now 90% of the money has been raised. So the headstone's already been going to be donated by the guys in Herne Bay, but it was the council fees that we've been putting towards. So hopefully, when that gets erected, maybe you can get some great pictures and use them in the book. Nice one. Thank you, Lindsay. Do we have any other questions? Yep. Well done, Sue. And we got Sue Perry. Thank you. Thank you, guys, for, for an excellent evening. It really has been very, very good. Thank you. Um, just, just, I, I didn't see uh, all of the series uh, once it moved over onto Anderson. I wasn't able to watch it, um, but I watched the, watched the first couple of series, um, and and I did query the inclusion of the American guy. I must admit, um, and there were a number of times when. Uh, I did find it quite under, difficult to understand what he was saying. Now, that might be age on my part, but I did find the subtitles, putting subtitles on, quite helpful. But, um, yeah, to me, he was a character that stood out and stood out uh, uh, as being out of place. Just, just a personal observation. Yeah, if I answer you, that, Sue, I, I, uh, I thought it, uh, Jackson, Adam Rogenberg, wasn't it, uh, was uh, really wonderful in the series. What I loved about the series was that the, was the risks it uh, took. It was sometimes like Sam Peckinpah comes to, uh, uh, to, uh, to Whitechapel. Um, and uh, one of the things that did worry me right at the beginning was the language, was the, was the uh, delivery of uh, some of the lines. I actually wrote down somewhere... Uh, the first line, one of the first lines that Matthew McFadden said, walk, uh, driving through Whitechapel with Drake, he said, this populace still without culprit is, is towards us. They direct their fury. I mean, that is a, an incredible uh, line. And McFadden played it like he was, I mean, like he was Mr. Darcy. So that did jar with me, but I actually grew to... To, I warmed to it and in the end I thought there was some fabulous fabulous uh, dialogue um, uh, in it one of my proudest moments and I'm glad Lindsay asked the question because my answer or what I'm saying uh, includes Lindsay is in the last episode they were after something which reminded Reed of Whitechapel in 1888 and the, uh, the Ripper something that really brought it back to him uh, that uh, um, disturbed him 
and I suggested that they perhaps Reed uh, goes into the uh, into the musical, whatever it was, and the girl there is singing the Mary Kelly song only a oh, yeah. tomato violet, I plant violets. no violet, violet yeah 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 sweet violets um, uh, which they th- I thought that was a really you know that would work quite well for them which they took up I then suggested that maybe um, uh, uh, the girl was accompanied by a corrupt lawyer who had since become a musical artist so they ran with 50% of my uh, uh, suggestion but rejected the uh, other 50% but I, I tried I know I tried very hard to get Lindsay uh, to, to do the song because I'd love to her to have done it. I thought that would have been a nice inside little thing for the, uh, uh, for the society. Well, that's fine. We can organise that right now for you, actually, Keith. I'm going to hand you over the microphone. <laughs> no, we haven't got time. I'm really sorry, but we will do this. We have to cut it short there. Um, so can I just ask everybody to please thank all of our talkers tonight, all of our speakers. It's a terrific night. Big round of applause. Thank you so much. And that was Adam Wood, Keith Skinner and Damian Michael Barcroft at the December 2019 meeting of the Whitechapel Society. We would like to thank Adam, Keith and Damian, Steve Ratty and the entire committee of the Whitechapel Society for making the release of this talk possible. For more information on the Whitechapel Society, please visit their website, whitechapelsociety.com where you'll find out how to become a member, get information about their future meetings, purchase books, and subscribe to their Whitechapel Society Journal. We are a podcast sponsored and hosted by casebook.org, where you'll find over 200 roundtable discussions, author interviews, and conference presentations all about Jack the Ripper and Victorian crime, society, and history. If you have any comments or questions about our podcasts, feel free to find us on the Casebook message boards or on Twitter and Facebook by searching for RipperCast.